Well, last weekend was an uh, incredible Sunday, and uh, one of the privileges I, I get is dur- during the week, I get to hear story after story um, from that weekend service, and we actually have a, a moment in our uh, staff meeting on Tuesdays where we just share stories, and uh, I get messages and email messages and Facebook messages, and uh, actually, I got a, a, a Twitter message this week from a guy, and he simply said, I'm now a zero looking to be a plus. And uh, I tell you, that one message just made, made my week. You know, I, those moments where you just, you see something like that, and you're like, that's what it's, it's all about. And we had nine people last week turn in a card uh, that marked the box, you know, I accept Christ, or put my trust into Christ. Um, and uh, what an amazing celebration that is, you know, to, to give your life, to surrender your life. And for many of you, you remember those moments, that moment where you trusted God within your entire life, where you surrender your life to Christ. And what a huge, just, I know for me personally, a moment it was for me just to realize, well, you know, I'm now in this new journey. And, uh, and so this week, we uh, uh, sent out an email. And uh, if you don't get our happenings, you really need to get signed up for that. And you can give me your email address, or you can go to our guest center and give them that email address. But we sent out uh, an email, and basically, in that email, we gave you just several reading plans. And there's an online website. It's called uversion.com. And uh, you can go on the web. You can, there's I, iPhone apps, iPad apps, Android apps. They have apps for everything. They have apps. And, uh, but basically, it's a great interactive Bible tool. And you can read and Every different language you can imagine and version you can imagine, you can take uh, notes and you can save those notes personally. You can share those notes. You can post those notes. You can tweet those notes. You can Facebook those notes. I bet you could print off those notes and glue them to your wall. It's amazing what you can do with notes. And uh, so we sent out four or five reading plans that we just wanted to suggest for you, for you to get into the Bible. If you didn't get that, we can get that back out to you. Uh, But it's one of the many reasons why you need to be on our Happenings email list. Well, today, uh, it's important for me to start off kind of setting the playing field so we're all on the same field playing the same game. Uh, Because if not, uh, my heart is, maybe you won't hear or maybe I won't say something clearly enough. And it's so critical that all of us are kind of in that space together for today's message. Because as you all know at this point, right, we're talking about this thing called money. And whenever money and the church collide, right, some of you right now have like shivers going up. You're like, oh no, we're back there, right? Some of you have left churches because of how they talked about money. Some of you grew up in houses and every Sunday afternoon you listen to your mom or probably your dad you know, screaming about what the preacher said about money. For today, this message, I'm going to kind of narrow the audience a little bit. Um, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this message is for you. If you're not there spiritually yet, guess what? You get today off. You can sit back, relax, right? You can look around the room a little bit. It's, it's not. Now, I think there's going to be some principles that might be extremely helpful for you. But if you haven't made that decision yet, seriously, today's not, it's just not for you. Um, and that's cool. And at some points today, you're going to like, yes. But I would kind of put in there yet, because hopefully one, right? If you don't call Renaissance 
your church. It's still for you. It's what church do you call your church? What I know is this, is whenever the church, capital C, talks about money in the church, there's a 13,000 pound elephant sitting in the room, right? Seriously, I know for some of you right now, your heart rates, it's increasing. You got this vein right back here that's tightening. Your hands are a little sweaty right now. You're like, oh no, what's he going to say? Well, I just wanted to kind of start off by addressing what I think are some of the elephants in the room. One is this. Some of you are thinking right now, oh great, the new guy is talking about money. How can we get rid of him? <laughs> it's real. Some of you know. Some of you are like, it's like, you know, in third grade, if you don't look at the teacher, she won't call on you, right? Right now you're like, I'm not going to look at him. Right? That's what, right now, you're, you're thinking that. Here's what I want you to know. I'm just delivering the message. The leadership of this church, we have an entire team of people that have been meeting for months, talking about this incredible, important issue. I actually came uh, to a meeting at 7.30 this morning to meet with this team. I mean, godly men and women that are, are just humbly wading through this, 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 this important piece for the life of Renaissance Church. So I just want you to know that it's not the new guy doing this. It's the leadership of this church. For some of you, uh, you're sitting there thinking right now, I thought Renaissance was different. And I liked Renaissance because they didn't talk about money. I want to simply apologize to you. I want to apologize because probably you've come out of a church experience where they did a horrific job when it comes to money and the church and what God says. I've listened to some of those messages. I've been in some of those churches. How they manipulate scripture. How they guilt you into. How they twist. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. I want you to know that today, um, I'm not going to guilt you into anything. And I am sorry that for some of you, you've gone through a church experience where they haven't handled this in a way that honors God. And my prayer that today, um, it's been my prayer, a team of people praying for this moment. Um, this team this morning prayed for me and, and what was going to be communicated today that um, you'll know that we want to honor God in this moment today. For some of you, again, you're, you're, you're waiting for the guilt trip side of it because that's what you've heard in churches before. You're waiting for the cue, the slide of the starving kid on the screen. I know people are like, I, I can't laugh at that. It's true, right? Right? Um, for some of you, you, you've been part of churches and the, the lead pastor gets up and they're like, if you don't give today, we're laying off all staff and we're cl- closing the doors. And you're like, ah, right? I've heard that. I'll never guilt you into giving. 
You can write that down. You can date that. We can notarize that. Never, ever come from my lips. For some of you, you're sitting out there right now and you're thinking, woohoo, right on, go get them, Chris, right? Of course, you're not going to right now because I'd be prideful. But you're, you're feeling that. That's real. You're like, yeah, this needs to be talked about. For some of you, you're sitting there going, really? People are really thinking through all these thoughts, right? You're like, Do pe- yeah, it's real, right? And there's probably more than, that I haven't shared. But here's reality. As all of you know, uh, if you're a leader, if you've ever led before, in whatever type of organization, a leader's job is to define reality, right? Because once you understand reality, then you can lead to it. You can lead through it. You can leverage your leadership resources to overcome whatever that reality is. And it's important for us to really define reality here. This church was started because a few people had an incredible heart to reach people unconnected from God, to reach their friends, their neighbors. And that was the heartbeat of the vision of Renaissance, and it is still today. It's what made me leave Las Vegas and move to this beautiful, beautiful, sunny <laughs> New Jersey. Wow. I called my parents yesterday. And they're like, yeah, we're sitting outside in shorts. I'm like, shut up. Hang up. Right? I'm like, ah. But the vision was birthed. And so many of you are here today because that initial group of people that had this vision that God had planted on their heart. And not only did God plant it on their hearts, but they took action. They did something with it. And one of their desires as this new church started to form was to remove all barriers Because they didn't want any barriers to pop up to keep people from coming in, experiencing who Christ is, experiencing community, experiencing the church done in a different way. And so they removed all these barriers. And one of those barriers was this money piece. Because they understood how poorly most churches have tackled this issue. And so they wanted to remove that. And so over the years, a few extremely generous, generous people have given so much to this place to remove barriers, to connect people into a life-changing relationship with Christ, to do church differently. Well, one of the realities is that giving generosity is an act of worship. And then that piece being removed from the life of the church was hindering people like you and I in our spiritual growth, in our spiritual walk. If I say this one line once today, I'll say it a thousand times. Today is not about what I want from you. It's about what God wants for you. Let me make that clear. Today is not about what I want from you. It's about what God wants for you.
And so we as a church, as a community of believers, we need to kind of have a space today where we can talk about this openly in a God-honoring way, in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of trust, and focus on what God has for you and I. I was a sophomore in college, and uh, I found myself kind of at that crossroads in life, like so many freshmen and sophomores and juniors. You, you remember that moment in college, right? It's like, what choice do I make? What path do I go down? And the intensity that came with that one decision, right? Because you felt that if you made the wrong choice, your entire life was going to be doomed. Remember that moment? You're like, oh no, which door do I pick? If I get it wrong, my life is ruined. I was in that place. And you see, what was welling up inside of me was this, this kind of intrinsic piece. I felt God was saying to me, Chris, go, go down this ministry pathway. I've shared before, no one else in my family had ever done that. I was, I, I was in the first to do that. But I was like, but how do I provide for my family financially? See, I grew up in a house and all of our needs were provided for. We're the common middle class. But I remembered moments where my parents would sit at the counter with their checkbooks open. You guys remember checkbooks? Checkbooks open. And they were saying, we have $20 left for the rest of this month. What do we need? For some of you, you've never had that experience. For some of you, you know exactly And as an elementary kid and a junior high kid, I remember sitting there on the couch going, oh no, are we going to make it? Are we going to have food? We always had food, but in my mind, and I remember that intensity. It wasn't until my junior and senior year in, 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 in high school and beyond where my dad got a couple significant salary bumps. I mean, huge. Where all of a sudden we kind of came into the space where money was really not an issue anymore. But that was late, late, late into my childhood. And so I found myself my sophomore year in, in college in this space going, I don't want my kids to go through that or worse. So I must go down this business path. And I want to get a business degree. And I want to become this so that I can financially provide for my kids. Because I don't want my kids to experience what I experienced growing up as a kid. It was as real and intense and emotional as you can ever imagine. And so I found myself in that space. Well, I had said yes to a guy named John. He uh, went to, to college with me. And uh, John had asked me months before this one moment to lead worship at a student camp. And uh, three days before this camp was to start, I came to John and said, John, I can't lead worship. He's like, why? I'm like, <coughs> I'm sick. <laughs> Little lie. <laughs> I'm sure something was swirling somewhere. And he looked at me and goes, really? I'm like, yeah, I just, don't, I just don't feel good. I just can't do it. He goes, you have to. It's three days before. You can't tell me no. So out of this whole conversation, I finally gave in. I said, okay, fine. I'll lead worship for this hundred or so students at this camp. And I showed up that weekend, and all weekend, I had the smile and the churchy face, and I'm leading worship, and inside I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? I hate this. The whole weekend. Have you ever tried to worship with that spirit? It's horrible, right? I'm like, oh, joy, God, Ugh, right? I get done, 
And I said nothing to John. I said nothing to John. I get done. I pack myself real quickly because my parents were driving to Cincinnati to spend a long weekend with me. So I had to get back to Cincinnati. So I'm leaving. I'm rushing out of this assembly hall. And I have my guitar, my bag, and all this stuff in my hands. And I hear John's voice. He goes, hey, Chris. I turn around. He's standing there. And I said, what? And he goes, two things. First, let me tell He had no clue what was going on inside of me. None. I hadn't shared this with anyone. He said, number one, I hope this weekend was a gift for you. I'm like, what? I didn't want to be here, a gift for me. Then he said this. He goes, I know you're struggling. Like, you know, like entering the twilight world, you're like, what? He goes, I know you're struggling, and I'm going to pray for you. I got in my car, and I was ticked off. You know why? I had a four and a half hour drive back to Cincinnati and John's one of those guys, if he says he's going to pray for you, guess what he's doing? He's praying. Four and a half hours worth. I sat in my car for four and a half hours going, no God, no, no, stop listening to John. Listen to me. The battle was so intense. I would turn on music. I turned it off again because God was like, no, silence. I got to the college I ran into the college. My parents were within an hour of, uh, of arriving. And I was making my way to the staircase to go up to, to my dorm. And there's the RA office right there. And I'm like running by the door. And I hear this guy's voice. His name is Greg Stokely. He said, hey, Chris. I'm like, oh, no. It's Greg. <sighs> hey, Greg. He goes, where have you been? I said, leading worship at a camp. Woohoo! You know, I'm like, oh, I didn't want to do it. He goes, how was it? I was like, it was great. He goes, you doing okay? I'm like, what? Like, what do you know that I don't know? I go, well, yeah, it's just a hard, man, I'm just in this hard space right now. I didn't share anything else with him. He grabbed an envelope from his desk, this envelope, And he wrote on it, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. He said, you need to read this. And he handed it to me. I'm like, I have John praying for me for four and a half hours. Now I have secret envelope guy. Right? I'm like, oh my. So I shoved it in my Bible. I had an incredible um, weekend with my parents. And it was Monday night. I came back to my dorm room, it was late, and I grabbed this Bible. Oh, by the way, my dog Snickers ate. <laughs> but you know what's cool about Snickers? I mean, she's probably dead somewhere, but she ran away, tear. Um, she, she stopped right before Genesis. <laughs> like, like she knew not to touch God's word. <laughs> Table of contents, not so important. Um, she... she uh, um, I was so ticked that day. I'm like, you can't eat the Bible. Um, I grabbed this envelope, and I had no clue what Matthew chapter 6 said at that point. No clue. And again, I didn't share anything about the decision-making process and the frustration and the concern and the fear and all that with Greg. And I started to read. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Seriously? 
treasures. We all have them, don't we? We all have a lot of them, don't we? I mean, go home today and just walk around your house and look at your treasures. Your, your wife will probably call them junk, guys. Like, no, I need eight drivers. You never know. We were moving, and um, I had this good mentor, friend, mentor of mine, who uh, was like 30 years older than me. In our first apartment, he said, Chris, you'll, you'll fill the space. And no matter how big of apartment or house you get, you'll always fill the space. And so we went from a small apartment to a house to a bigger house. And, um, and over the years, we, went, we added on to a storage unit. Uh, because that's what you do in Vegas. Uh, you don't have basements. So we had this small, small like closet storage unit to a 5 by 5 to a 10 by 10 filled with stuff. And uh, in the moving process, I real mu- realized how, much, uh, how many treasures we had. Uh, and uh, and we, we sold a lot, got rid of a lot, and then we moved a lot. And yesterday, I was, uh, or Friday night, I was making this incredible, it was just like pizza, like caramelized onions and Gruyere cheese and bacon. It's bacon. You put bacon on anything, it's good. Not good for you. But anyway, um, this, and it had this like garlic oil pesto thing. Oh, so I needed the blender. So I go to our pantry and I open the pantry. I see the blender right up there. I'm like, honey, we do have a blender. She said to me, she goes, it doesn't work. I'm like, what? She goes, you turn it on, it smokes everywhere. I'm like, well, why did we move it? right? Like, why, why is it here? We should have left it in Vegas, right? Why? I promise you, 10 years from now, guess where that blender's going to sit? Up there. How, how many treasures do we have? And here's what happens so many times in churches. Have you ever heard the pastor get up there and say, God doesn't want you to be rich. Sell everything. Give to the poor. <laughs> You're like, you've sat there. That's not in the Bible. I mean, Job, what did God do for Job after you lost it all? Multiplied his wealth? Solomon, how wealthy was he, right? Jesus didn't say, don't have treasures. What did he say? Do not store. Do not hoard. Do not hold on to. Do not grasp with all your might. And not let go. Jesus never said don't have them. He said don't store them. Well he goes on. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In ancient Jewish literature, they would write about Storing in heaven and this whole concept of storing um, for eternal purposes. And this is what they would write about. Whatever is of good and, in, and in t- eternal significance that comes out of what is done on earth. And what Jesus is saying is, what are the things you can do on earth that will last for eternity? Things like forgiving each other. He talked a lot about that. Random acts of kindness where you do something kind for someone, not because of what you're going to get from that, but just because you're there to serve. It's loving the unlovable. It's when you don't want to love someone and you do anyway, right? It's those type of things. And what Jesus says is, you know what? Yeah, stir up for those things here on earth all day long because those will transfer to heaven. But the things, the material things here on earth, 
They're all going to end one day. As soon as Apple comes out with a new iPod, iPhone, iPad, right? How many of those old devices do you have sitting around? And then Jesus gets to the heart of it. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is. You see, Jesus wanted to make sure it's clear. This is a heart issue. Period. And that's why I keep saying, I want nothing from you. God wants something for you. Because Jesus realized that money and the heart are intrinsically connected. You can't separate those two. And the condition of your heart will reflect how you see money, how you leverage what God has given you, and what you do with it, and how generous you are or you, you, you aren't. And Jesus understood that. In Luke chapter uh, 18, uh, there's a story. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he, he asks this question. Good teacher, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, why do you call me good? Which is a killer question. If we had time, we'd go into that. Why do you call me good? And then Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And he replied, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Then come follow me. And you know how he responded? When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. The first thing that, again, to even this playing field, probably right now when you hear words like rich, young ruler, and wealth, you quickly minimize your wealth and you think of people who are wealthier than you. If I would ask, are you rich? You'd probably say, well, but there's people richer. People have more. Their net worth is greater. They have more vacation properties. If you sold all their assets, right? We, we like to minimize our wealth. I could spend hours sharing you, with you st- statistics from around the world, but I think we all understand this fact that everyone in this room is extremely wealthy, right? Do you all have heat in your house? You're wealthy. Do you have electricity that goes through these really cool inventions called sockets where you can plug in all of your toys and devices? You're wealthy. Did you eat this week? Did you read that report last week about America and its obesity problem? Do you think that report is in every newspaper around the world about their country? Okay. All of us in this room are extremely rich. Rich. 
And see, Jesus, with this rich young ruler, got to the heart. What he was saying is, are you willing to give it all to me? Are you willing to hand it all over to me? Are you willing to walk away from it all? Then follow me. Because Christ demands surrender first, then to follow him in obedience. See, that's why it's a heart issue. And Jesus, just if it wasn't clear enough, if we didn't get the point, in verse 24, this is what he said. No one can serve two masters. Either he will will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right? Jesus was like, okay, if you still don't get the point in all of this, I'm going to break it down. God, money, you choose. Can't be both. Let me ask you a question. Think in your mind, what are the top three sins you deal with? Don't don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to say them out loud. That would be awkward. I'm not going to ask you to write them down and hand them in to me. Like This is just for your own personal consumption. Your top three sins, what are they? All right, probably you're populating that list right now, right? Um, you're, I would give you an example from my life, but I'm not going to. That'd be really, you might enjoy it, but I might lose my job. <laughs> right, top three sins. Now, what if I say to you, add number four and five to that list? What would four and five be, right? And you might have to work a little harder to, or maybe for some of you, you're like, no, Chris, I got like 20 right now. I'm not working at all, right? Um, now, if we could take this scientific survey, we won't, we won't, don't worry. But if we did, I would almost promise you that 100% in this room did not put on their list this one sin, greed. Now, if I'd ask you this question, can, can you give me a name of someone you know who's greedy? Could you do that? Oh, quickly, right? Oh, it's so easy to point out greed in everyone else. In 18 years of doing ministry, and I've had a lot of people confess some really deep, dark stuff with me. Never once have I had someone come to me and say, Chris, man, I'm just, I struggle with greed. Never. Tim Keller said this. He's a lead pastor at Redeemer Prez in the city. He said, if Jesus talks about greed and materialism 10 or 20 times more than the other sins, and if he says essentially that nobody thinks they are doing it, you should start with a working hypothesis that is probably a problem for you. Right? We should just start with that working hypothesis. And the only way we can counteract greed is with generosity. The only way. And what Jesus was essentially saying is this there's a battle for your heart, and the battle lines is between money your treasure, and me. And there can't be two masters. And there can't be a 50-50 split. 
So who are you going to choose? Who are you going to choose? You see, the church should talk about giving because it is a worship issue. It's a worship issue. It's what it's about. Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's your spiritual act of worship. When you offer your entire self and all of who you are. And when you sacrificially give to God, what an incredible act of worship that is. So you might be sitting there and say, well, why give to the church? There's a lot of good organizations out there. Other 501c3 nonprofit organizations. Why, why do I have to give to the church? If the church is the hope of the world, and if Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, what an incredible privilege it is for me to worship my Savior who died for me, who gave me the greatest gift ever in an act of worship, sacrificially, with a heart of generosity, in a heart of worship, where I lay my first, my best, at his feet in an act of worship. Why would you give it anywhere else? Why would you give it anywhere else? I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And there's two simple requests. Well, one request and more one uh, of just kind of where Renaissance is heading piece. And um, I'm going to share this one piece with you. Because I, I, I don't share this. I struggle to share this or not to share this. And for some of you, you you're going to take whatever I say today, however you want to take it today. I can't, I can't control that. But I share this with you because it would be so easy for me to get up here on this stage and share what I've shared with you and not share personally from, from my life. And, and I believe in transparency and authenticity. And so I hope you know that this is just from that space. My last check at Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, I tithed, I gave sacrificially to it. My first check at Renaissance Church my wife and I gave sacrificially. I don't owe that to any of you, to say that to any of you. And I didn't do that, so I could say that to any of you. I did that, why? Because God has called me to lay in an act of worship at his feet my treasure. There's going to be two challenges For us as a church. The first one is this. If you're a Christ follower. It's for you. Is that you commit to God. In the act of worship. To give a percentage. Consistently to him. That you come up with a percentage. That you give to him. Consistently. In an act of worship. Now. 
If Renaissance is your church, and you believe in the mission and vision of what we have accomplished and what we're going to accomplish, and the impact in this community, and to be a light in this dark world, and if your life has been radically changed because of Renaissance, now I say, is there a better church than this place? For some of you, you might be a guest here and you have another church. And I would say, if you're sold out to that church and what they're doing and how they're impacting uh, people's lives, give, give there. But give to a church sacrificially, out of a heart of generosity, in an act of worship, a percentage consistently. Second thing is starting next weekend. We're going to actually have a moment in the service where we worship God. And we're going to have a moment where we talk about worship connected to our treasure. Why? Because it's the church. Acts 2. Read Acts 2, 42 through 47. And all the believers gave and sold to those that had need. It should be the heartbeat of our church. It should be the heartbeat of who we are. Because where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. And so I ask you just prayerfully consider an act of worship. How you can lay your treasure down at God's feet.